0: Good morning. This morning is All Saints Sunday, where here at the church we, we name those who have uh, passed away during this past year and remember them. Um, so this Sunday we're, we're looking at, uh, in John's Gospel, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And think about Jesus being the resurrection. So I uh, want us to read this passage. It's found in John chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read... Uh, verses 32 through 44. Now, the story actually goes from chapter 1 to 44, but I didn't think you really wanted me to read 44 verses to you this morning. But if you have your Bibles, it's it's um, all 44 verses uh, pertain to the story. But let's read. We're going to start reading in verse 32. Now, when Mary, and this is Mary, who is sister to Martha and And Lazarus was her brother. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, "Lord, come and see." Jesus wept. So the Jews said, "See how he loved him." But some of them said, "Come, not could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying?" Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for your word and for your faithfulness. And just pray that all that is said this morning be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's, it's a key verse. It's a key passage in John's gospel. As I said, it's 44 verses. Um, John devotes 44 verses to telling this account. And it's a major turning point in, in John's gospel, that everything's kind of built up to this point. And after this, it, it moves towards the crucifixion. And so it's a key, a key passage so I want us to look at it this morning and, and think about it. And it's actually written in three scenes, three kind of movements or scenes is the way John writes it and, and lets you know what's going on and what Jesus has, has done here. And, you know, I didn't read all of it, but we're going to look at each one. We're going to, I'm just going to kind of share what, what happened to we get the context. And the first kind of scene that's related to this passage is before Jesus goes and it goes back to, to the area. Of Bethany so it's before he goes and what's happened is Jesus has been around Jerusalem been in that area and healed a blind man and he did it on the Sabbath and the, the Jewish leadership have wanted to have him stoned to death um, for since about chapter 5 of John's Gospel they've been looking for avenues to, to, to get him and getting more frustrated but here they, they've wanted to kill him so he left well, now he's with the disciples and they're doing ministry. And then he hears that Lazarus, his friend, and he's friends with Mary and Martha, that's their, their brother Lazarus, but he was friends with Lazarus and loved him, is sick and is very sick. And so what, he hears the message that he's very sick. And an interesting thing, just a couple of things from this, this first scene I want us to think about, is it says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he waited two more days before he went. Now that sounds strange. You know. He loved them so much, so because he loved them so much, he waited two more days before he even headed in their direction. Well, you know, we would want it to say, well, he loved them so much he dropped everything and ran, and he went back immediately, but that's not what the text says. And it's important there, I mean, as we've said before, everything in John's gospel has meaning, and the way he writes it is part of the significance that he is wanting you to know about who Jesus is. So this idea that he loved them so much, he doesn't go back. He doesn't go back until Lazarus is dead. Doesn't sound so loving on the surface. It's something that we've seen over and over in uh, Scripture and, it's, and also in the Gospels. We saw it when you know, Jesus looked at the, the disciples rowing and they were rowing against the, the storm and the weather and struggling, and Jesus waits hours and hours before he goes to do anything about it. If They're sitting there rowing. Or right before this, uh, Jesus he'd said here that he'd healed the blind man you know, he's he's healed a blind man on the Sabbath, but how he did it is he spit in the dirt and makes mud and then wipes it in the guy's face, right? In his eyes, it says. If you read the account in, in Mark's gospel, Mark just says he spits in the guy's eyes, but he, he makes this muddy spit and wipes it in his eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but... I would have preferred, if it had been me, Jesus, just declare my eyes healed. Just heal them. You do not have to wipe your muddy spit into my eyeball. But there is there's some truth there. That he loves him so much, he doesn't go back yet. That we've seen before, God's timing and how God works and what Jesus does in the moment. Sometimes we... It doesn't seem to be the way that we would do things. You now we would say if he really cared about the disciples he would have rescued them immediately. if he really you know cared about the guy maybe not rub muddy spit in his eye or go back before Lazarus has is, is died or maybe we would even take that to the point that we would rather a God who shows up and is on our team and wins, The day, and we get what we want instead of a God who dies because of our sin and our brokenness and our failure. We probably wouldn't have saved the world that way. You see, God, in His own timing, in His own way, does His own thing. And, and I can identify with that. There's so many times that I've thought, you know, God, I just, I don't know why you didn't show up. Why, why has this, you know, why didn't you do it the way I wanted it done? we have seen that before. And sometimes, even I've said before, sometimes you pray and you, you God, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm desperate here and you feel like, wait a minute, did God just spit in my eye? Did it just get worse? Wait, that hurts worse. Wait, what? Sometimes that's how we feel. I've said before, it is a biblical principle from the beginning to the end that God is faithful to every promise God ever makes. His word is is true. We just don't get to pick which promise and what the timing will be. And you see that here. It says that he loves them so much he doesn't go back until Lazarus is dead. Because you see, the theme, the focus of John's gospel, the thing that Jesus wants more than anything is for people to believe. For them to have the faith. He loves them so much, he wants to give them a miracle that will make their faith strengthened. It's not because everybody gets a miracle. It's not because everybody's promised their miracle. It's it's not that, you know, we've said before, even Lazarus. At some point later after this event dies of something else. And he doesn't get, get healed. Every time that Jesus, every time there's a miracle, it is to support the message. Give validity to what Jesus is saying and doing and getting people to trust and have faith. So he wants to, he loves them so much, he waits before he goes back to give them a miracle that will strengthen their faith. Now, part of how we can know that's kind of the theme is what's also said in this first scene. Because when he says they're going back, first he tells the disciples you know, that you know, Lazarus has gone to sleep and, and they misunderstand what he's saying, and then he lets them know, no, he's dead. Um, but this is going to result in, this was for God's glory. God's glory is going to be seen through this. And, but the disciples tell him, you shouldn't go back. When they first hear about Lazarus is sick and that they want him to come back, you shouldn't go because they, remember the the Jewish leaders want to have you stoned to death? You're going to die. And then Jesus tells them, you know, this is going to result in, not in his death, but in God's glory and they finally say, and the final sentence is, is from the disciples, and it comes from Thomas, and what they say is, well, I guess we'll just go back and die with you. Now, they have the courage to go. They believe him enough to have courage and to be willing to sacrifice. It's an interesting thing. that you know, So many times in the gospel, they're, they're, they're willing to go, and I'm, I'm willing to die for you. Uh, until it gets to the point that they so believe he's the Messiah, then they believe he's not going to die. And that's when he dies. It's, it's a twist there. But here they have the courage to go. Think this is gonna This may cost us our lives and cost us everything. We're going to go and we're going to die with you. My point being is they don't have the faith that a miracle is going to happen. The disciples don't say, let's go because you just said this isn't going to result in death. This is for God's glory, and you want them to believe. So something's going to happen that's going to help people believe. They don't have that kind of faith. They have enough faith. They've seen him do enough. He's working in their lives. They are followers, but they have enough faith to be courageous and sacrificial. I want to pause there. Because there's been certainly moments in my life I mean, years, there were years that I, I understood this idea that God wants us to be courageous and sacrificial. and There were moments that I would stand up for the right thing or step out in faith to do something for God that, that seemed courageous to other people. And maybe there's stuff in me that you know wanted to be courageous, but I'm just going to tell you, that's not God's goal. Yes, that's a good thing. And yes, God wants us to be sacrificial and courageous and all this, but... God wants our faith in Him. Our faith in Jesus and, and what He says and our trust that He is faithful. God wants our faith to certainly trump our courage. God will bring us to places. God uses events. Now, there one, I'm, I'm not the one that, that believes God zaps us and causes all tragic events or everything. I don't know. Maybe God does, but I do believe God uses to strengthen our faith. That's the goal. That's the goal of Scripture. That's the goal we saw a few weeks ago in Abraham. That's the goal we see all through Scripture. And John tells you that's the goal of the Gospel that he is writing. To strengthen their faith. That sometimes I've, I've trusted Jesus enough and remembered what he has done in the past or what he did in the past in my life. To have courage. I'm willing to go and I, I guess I'll go and I'll die with you. It's an interesting thing. He'll then bring me to the point that I am so scared to death. I don't have any courage. What about the moments you're faced with such fear you don't have courage left? Well, that's where he wants your faith to trump your courage every time. He wants us to have the faith to know We can trust Jesus' words, his actions, what he says, even when we can't figure it out, when it doesn't make any sense, and when we're scared to death. He's trustworthy. And that is so important for us to remember, certainly in the current age that we live in and what's going on in the world. You know, people, I hear all the time, people saying, well, it's the last days, it's getting to be the end of the world, Jesus is going to come back, and maybe so. And there's places that Jesus said, you know, you're going to know, it, just like when you know the harvest is ready, you're going to know, but you're not really going to be able to figure it out. And maybe instead of looking at the world thinking things have gotten bad, it's going to cost us everything, we're, we're, I guess we'll just die for the cause, maybe it's an opportunity to have the hope and the faith that amazing things are going to happen that God may just want to show up in a profound way. God always wants our faith and our trust in God to be the main thing and to strengthen that even more than our courage. So that is how this first scene ends with the disciples saying, well, we'll go back and we'll die with you. And then it comes to the next scene. And the next scene is he gets close to Bethany. Now, this is... uh, Bethany. There's more than one Bethany. This is the Bethany close to Jerusalem, um, where the Jews were trying to, you know, have him stoned to death. And he gets close, and they let him know. And Martha comes running out first. That's Lazarus's sister. And she comes running out, saying, you know, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And you know, wish you'd have come here sooner. Kind of, a kind of language. And then Jesus tells her, "Well, Martha, your your brother." is going to rise again. He's going to rise. And she then says to him, I know he's going to rise at the end in the last days with the resurrection. I mean, it's like we see that all through John's gospel of people misunderstanding Jesus. Um, They're taking him literally. I know he's going to rise in the end, but I meant I wish you would have come and he wouldn't have died in the first place. That's kind of her attitude. And then Jesus looks at her. And verse 25, 26 are the key verses. It is the turning point. It is the point. It is part of this middle scene. He explains this is the point. This is what this is all about. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me will never die. And even though they die physically, they will live eternally and he just says he just says it it's the key I am statement in all you know he's been giving these I, I am the bread of life I am the light I am that here I am the resurrection and I am life and then he looks at her and says do you believe that again he said this whole thing is for for your faith to be do you believe it it's an interesting thing. She, it's it's like she says, you know, yes, she does believe it. But she doesn't have a clue. She doesn't believe that he's really going to rise. He doesn't believe in a miracle is going to happen. But she says, "But I know. I know when you pray, God listens. I know things happen." But she doesn't know what's going to happen. It's almost it's the same kind of language that the mother of Jesus uses in chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana when she says, you know, I know it's not your time, but you servants, do whatever he says. I don't know how this is going to work out. don't know if it's going to work out. don't know if he's going to do anything. He just said it's not his timing, but y'all just do what he says. That there's enough faith for her to say, Martha here to say, yeah, I get you're the resurrection of life, and I know when you pray, things happen. That's as close as she can get. She's still unsure. He wants faith to be strengthened, but Martha, he, she has enough. Are there ever moments? I mean, you know, we talked courage in the the first scene, but here, where you've got faith, you know, yeah, I've got faith. I know, I know God does. I've grown up in the church, or I, I believe in Jesus, or I, I remember my my own. Conversion, or when God did this in my life, or when God touched my life, and we have faith. But then, when when the rubber really meets the road, we're like, oh, but I don't know. I had faith, but I just have faith that yeah, Jesus can do things. I don't know what He's going to do, and I'm not sure how He's going to do it. And I'm not, but, but uh, yeah, I, but even in our little faith. I mean, this is what Jesus says: the faith of a mustard seed is small, but it grows. It's put in the terms of a parable in the other Gospels, but here it's put in the terms of a significant sign event to illustrate the same point. Yeah, Martha's got a little faith, and just but I want Jesus wants to. He doesn't give up on her. He did, he wants to cultivate that. He came back for this purpose. I want your faith to grow, and believing that He is the resurrection, the life. So then you get the final scene. And the final scene is then Martha goes in and whispers to Mary, you know, because they're they're grieving, and and this. Age in the world, you you the more you wept and the more you wailed and uh, the more you were showing devotion to the person who had died and you know so she's in there grieving and Martha's come and told Mary you know the teacher's here because she wants him to be able to you know connect with him maybe without everybody around I don't know just whispers and lets him know but she makes a big deal runs out so everybody kind of comes out too but this is where it gets accusatory. To where Mary comes out, and she says, "If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died." It's almost—it's just accused. She has so much faith that he could have healed him from his sickness. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But her faith stops there. And you're told at the beginning of this story, this is the Mary who anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume and wipes his feet with her, her hair. In Luke's gospel, it's shared that Mary is, you know, seven demons casted out of her, seven. You know, that God has worked. Jesus has worked in her life. She has the faith that if you had come, he wouldn't have died. But she doesn't have the faith that, but he's dead and gone. She doesn't really have the faith and believe what Jesus wants her to believe, to trust him. And so it's that accusatory language. And it even says that Jesus becomes deeply moved and is troubled. And the word there for kind of troubled has a little bit of kind of frustration to it of what that word means in the Greek. I mean, it's... Kind of frustrated. Maybe frustrated at her, her faith. Maybe frustrated. But he still loves her and cares. There've remember moments you, you blame God? You see that all through Scripture, people blaming God. We've said it before in the Psalms, you know, how long, oh God, are you going to abandon me? You even see it in the Garden of Eden when when. God shows up and says to Adam, you know, did you eat of that fruit? And what, what he literally says is, no. Well, I mean, yes, he did. But he says, the woman that you gave me did it. I mean, it actually, the woman you gave me, the woman it's really your fault, God. If you, you, it's the woman that you gave me, and he's kind of blaming God. Accusing God. There's times that we have probably all been in those shoes. If you'd have been here, if you'd have done it different, if you'd have showed up and, God, can I trust you? Those moments of grief or struggle, or we join Mary in this. I've got the faith that you could have healed them, but why didn't you? And then Jesus weeps. Now that's significant. It's actually really significant in the Greco-Roman world. If you read Greco-Roman, you know, history and read the gods, the Greco-Roman gods did not have emotion. That was important. They and they had a logical theory of why they didn't and how they came up philosophically that the Greco-Roman gods didn't have emotion and didn't feel. But here Jesus is God in the flesh who weeps. He weeps over his love for Lazarus and love for Mary and Martha. Probably weeping some over the lack of faith, maybe, but he weeps. He cares that in the midst of those moments, it is God who cries with us. And then he says, Where has he been buried? And at that point, Martha steps back into the story. You know, she had enough faith to say, But you know, when you pray, magic, amazing things happen. Um, I have that kind of faith, and yeah, you, you're the resurrection of life. I don't know what that means. To where Martha then steps back in and says, because he says, we need to roll away the, the stone that's in front of the tomb. And Martha says, oh, my goodness, no, it's going to stink. He's been buried. I mean, she, she, she's showing her lack of faith right there. He's been buried four days. Don't do it. And they roll the stone away. And then what does Jesus do? In a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. I think for multiple reasons, but one of the main reasons in in John's gospel is John begins his gospel with saying the word of God, which that word logos means heart, will, mind, motive of God. We've, We've seen it before, that word of God. The word that spoke everything into creation everything into being the word was with God and was God and everything came into being through this communication of God and that communication of God the heart will mind motive communication of God becomes flesh in Jesus and here he speaks and his words have authority and they accomplish what he says that is the goal God Jesus wants us to trust what he says. It's not that everybody's going to get a miracle. It's not that everybody's going to get what they want when they want it. it is, he actually says, you know, the times things are going to go bad and you're going to suffer. But the goal is, I want you to trust what I say. If I say that I'm the resurrection of the life, I mean it. He's already said he is the life he's already been told we're told he's the lamb of god we're already been told that he is life and light and the, the manna and all of the images so here he speaks because God wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know that the communication of God is trustworthy and you are to have faith in that above your courage, your understanding, your everything else. And he speaks and when he says something, it happens, it matters, it it, it, it tangibly exists. He spoke everything into creation and here he speaks it into life again also think that he speaks because this is chapter 11 of John's gospel and if you look at chapter 10 of John's gospel is where we get the good shepherd and that a good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him and he knows them by name and when he calls them by name they will follow a good shepherd that will lay down his life for the sheep Jesus is willing to return back to this area to be willing to be stoned to death lay down his life for his sheep, to call them by name, and he responds just like he calls Lazarus. And Jesus calls us by name. He invites us to respond. At whatever faith level we have, he wants us to respond and he will meet us there, but he always wants to grow our faith. He always wants to strengthen it to where we can trust for this final purpose, the final thing that's mentioned in this scene. Because he calls Lazarus out of the tomb and then what does he say? Well, it says that he says to them and to them are all the other people, the people that are gathered there, the people that are his disciples, the people that are following. He says to them, unwrap his hands and his feet, unwrap him with the death garments he has and set him free. But see Jesus isn't the one that goes and unwraps him Jesus calls it forth and, and says it, but he then commissions them. We have a role to play He uses us he they are part of setting Lazarus free it's a powerful image it's an important theme. We looked at it last week when we were talking about we each one of us are stewards of the manifold grace of God, meaning a multicolored grace of God that fits you and your story and who you are. You are a steward of it because it meets someone else's multicolored need or trial or struggle. We have a part to play. God invites us to be part of setting people free, of releasing them from the bondage of their death clothes they are wrapped in with this past sermon series we've been looking at shame the stuff that we cover ourselves up with to try to keep our shame intact that leads to death and our own death garments that lead to to sin and separation from God when Jesus wants us to have faith in him he comes to, to die to set us free wants to strengthen our faith to know that we have a part to play in setting others free as well. We are part of this kingdom movement. We're part of the story. And so on this All Saints Sunday, I invite you to think about those who have meant something to you. Because the truth is none of us would know the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus is, if people hadn't, had the faith to share it. And sometimes faith that trumped their courage. They weren't, they were scared to death, but they knew and they believed. Is what gave us the ability to hear and have the possibility of our surrendering our lives to Christ and change. So I want you to think about those people who have gone before you and also hear the calling that is on your life and hear from this story, wherever we are in our faith journey, maybe just beginning, maybe not a whole lot of faith, maybe we believe but aren't so sure, Jesus wants to still work with us. He wants to strengthen our faith. In different ways, in, in ways in his own planning, in his own timing, Wants to set us free so that we can participate in setting others free. But it all begins with our trust and our faith in Him. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for how you love us. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that we can put our faith in that. And in that comes freedom. That no matter what happens, you are faithful. You came to give us life, life abundantly, life eternally. That did not mean stuff and wealth and what we want, but it means the life that you designed for us. And you want us to participate in, the, in your life and what you're doing in the world. So may we just surrender to you. I'll let you grow our faith and, and continue to free, acknowledge our need for your forgiveness. And may you transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.